The events at the Capitol in the past week, beginning with a violent mob and ending with the second impeachment of President Trump, have exposed deep rifts within the Republican Party. We not only have an economic imperative to act now, I believe we have a moral obligation. I'm Jim Sachs of CQ Roll Call, and this is The Transition, a special edition of political theater. It is Friday, January 15th. We are less than a week away from inaugurating the 46th President of the United States, Joe Biden. And tonight, we want to explore what's next. What's in store for the GOP? The Republican Party has really taken a beating in the last few weeks, and most of those blows were self-inflicted. They lost the Georgia runoffs and, with them, control of the Senate. Then, President Donald Trump held his Stop the Steal rally, which inspired his supporters to storm the Capitol. It was a sad, deadly affair that still could have been even worse. And in its wake, the House impeached Trump for a second time. It was the first time in U.S. history, and this time, 10 Republicans voted yes. While some Republicans had denounced Trump prior to last Wednesday's violence, the impeachment vote was the first real sign that we've seen that the party might be ready to divorce itself from this abusive relationship that, after four years, has left them out of power in Washington. It's made me think of something Republican Senator Lindsey Graham tweeted back during the 2016 primaries, before he had locked up the nomination. He said, quote, if we nominate Trump, we will get destroyed, and we will deserve it. Today, Graham is the president's leading defender in the Senate, where he is urging his colleagues to support Trump in his upcoming impeachment trial. I suspect that most Republican officials are like Lindsey Graham. They just don't know how to let go. As Trump's presidency goes through its violent death throes, Joe Biden's is about to begin. And America's oldest ever president has a lot of work to do. Between the pandemic, a shaky economy, extreme inequality, and an ongoing racial reckoning and right-wing extremism, Joe Biden might be facing the most daunting set of challenges a president has faced since FDR. So today, we look to the future, and we have two great guests to help guide us. CQ Roll Call's chief correspondent, Niels Lesniewski, will tell us what's next on the incoming administration's agenda. But first, our elections expert, Nathan Gonzalez, will help us figure out what lies ahead for the GOP. Nathan, thanks for joining us. Hey, thank you for having me. So where do the Republicans go from here? Well, first, how long do we have, Jim? Because this is, <laughs> is a huge question. Um, you know, the first thing I think we need to we need to think about is, you know, what the what the Republican Party has become over the last four or five years, and it has become uh, the following of a person um, rather than a a following a set of of issues or ideological goals. And and I think that you know, parties people can do with whatever whatever they want to their party, but that makes a transition. Difficult, and I've I think that this transition, a messy transition, uh, from President Trump to someone or something else, was always going to be messy. But I don't know that many, very many of us really uh, anticipated what happened with the with the invasion of the of the Capitol, and so that's just making things all the more complicated in the final days of the Trump presidency. Um, 
I think the key thing, one of the key things is to remember is that uh, this coalition, uh, the president has built a coalition that has helped, that helped him win. Um, I'm not sure it is easily transferable to someone else. Um, and this is a, not a unique dynamic to Donald Trump. It is a, uh, I think President Obama struggled with it. You know, President Obama did well when he was on the ballot. When he wasn't on the ballot, Democrats got pounded in a couple of midterm elections. Uh, but what, what, again, with Trump, everything is just heightened, you know, just turned up to a different volume and heightened even more. And now you have Republicans fundamentally wrestling with um, how far to go against the president when the base of the Republican Party, the voters of the Republican Party, a majority of them are still loyal to President Trump. They like him more than they like their individual member of Congress. And that's what these members are struggling with. Uh, even if in their heart or in their head they want to back away from the president, they're feeling pressure from their voters who still want to stick with him. Yeah. Um, even after events of last week, uh, and President's support, you know, took a hit among Republicans, but it's still, you know, he still has 60% of Republican Party uh, voters saying that they're fully supportive. And there's still a majority, according to Pew, uh, these numbers are, still a majority of Republican voters say the election was rigged, uh, which is kind of insane when you consider how many court cases there have been saying the exact opposite. Yeah, um, and, and, and some people might question whether they say, well, no, it's not really the president's party. And if it wasn't the president's party, if what I just said wasn't true, more than 10 people uh, in the House would have voted to to impeach him. But that dynamic still exists, at least the fear of President Trump either personally coming against them or on Twitter, um, the fear of his voters coming against them. And now we're seeing creeping in the fear of physical violence against them or their families creep in. So this is more, you know, this is a multi-layered problem that Republicans are dealing with. Yeah. And I've been thinking about two of the people that have been, uh, that helped, you know, basically foment uh, some of that, that violence that we saw last Wednesday. Uh, and, and that's Ted Cruz and Josh Hawley, and Hawley in particular, uh, because he was the first Republican senator to come out and say he was going to oppose the electoral college count. Uh, and that was what set off the, the riots. And beforehand, there was a photo of him outside the Capitol in the morning, his fist raised in support of this angry mob that was about to sack the building um, Holly and Cruz did what they did because they're obviously eyeing a presidential run in 2024 and they want to get that Trump vote that you said may or may not be all that transferable. What happens to their political futures now? Are they kind of doomed or will they be able to bounce back? Well, I think first we have to see where this investigation goes into, into what happened on January 6th. I, I think I try to be an optimistic person, Jim, but I, I feel like this is only we're it's only going to get worse as we learn more. I think that's what's happening in the week plus since then. And so um, I think the the ending of the investigation will help paint the the significance of the event or how serious of it was. And then there will be fallout for people involved in different ways. And I, I do think we're seeing sort of an unprecedented number of senators being very specific about um, punishment or consequences for Senators Hawley and Cruz and, and that I don't remember. I mean, you know, we have experts on the 
on the CQ roll call team that are more authorities on the Senate itself than I am, but I haven't heard this type of rhetoric toward individual back and forth between individual senators before. Um, but overall, I think you have Holly and Cruz, ambitious senators who are looking ahead and trying to see where the Republican Party is, what it is now, and, and where it's going to go and how they can lead it. Again, now going back to this coalition, what I don't think, uh, what I haven't seen is, well, Republicans have a, Trump has built this populist, coal, populist party, at least that's how Republicans see it, a populist party that is reaching out to uh, minority voters. Uh, what I don't know how the coalition comes together is um, there is a piece of the Trump supporters that hate politicians, all politicians, Republicans and Democrats. They they wanted to hang Mike Pence, Jim. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they, they were they. And so what do those voters do? And I am skeptical that the people who hate all politicians, it's all the swamp, are just going to neatly come in line behind an Ivy League educated United States senator, one of whom clerked for Chief Justice John Roberts. I, I just... I don't know that it's going to be that clean of a transition, and but uh, everyone's trying to figure it. Out. Every we can list all the people who want to be president coming up. What we don't know is what the primary voters are going to be looking for and how they react to President Trump over the next year, two, and three and four years beyond. Yeah, and I was reading some of your uh, older work, and you you, you talked uh, with an expert in the idea of uh, loyalty. And uh, one of the things he said was, uh, you know, the real way to uh, attack a, a cult of personality isn't to uh, talk about the the leader. It's to convince the people that might be in the uh, his thrall that there's a politi- uh, a social uh, sort of cost of doing it. Um, and 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 I'm I was thinking about that today, uh, especially given that. You know, we we did see some Republicans finally say like this is insane, <laughs> as you know there was a deadly attack on the Capitol, uh, but others still haven't. Um, and I'm wondering just what what do you think will happen to the GOP if there isn't that full break towards denouncing uh, some of the conspiracy theories and. Uh, extremism that has, you know, become uh, a hallmark of Trumpism. Yeah, and I would encourage everyone can can look up on roll call. You know, a couple of discussions that I've had with James Kane is is the name of the name of this uh, loyalty expert. And I think what Republican Party part of what it's going through right now is um, January sixth gave very visual elements to pieces of the coalition that might have been easy to ignore beyond. I mean, the coalition was kind of held together by, uh, for multiple reasons, but for people who didn't like Trump's personality, they were appreciative of the judges or certain policies and tax cuts and and whatnot. But now some of the Trump voters are forced to look at the guy who's beating beating up a police officer with an American flag or the guy who is wearing a Camp Auschwitz sweatshirt and say, they're looking and say, do I want to be involved in the same group? as these guys. And, and, and that is a, I think that's a question that they're, you know, some Trump voters are, are, are wrestling with right now. We can talk about the post Trump era, but we don't even know when that is right. I mean, we have a fixed date of inauguration, 
that doesn't mean that he's going to be uh, a, a non-factor or that voters are instantly just going to turn off or turn away from him again, because he has become their champion. He is the businessman. He is the outsider. He's cleaning up the swamp. The reason why he's getting persecuted is because he's doing the right things. I mean, that's, that's the mentality. And that just doesn't vanish, you know, vanish in an instant. Yeah, he has this weird uh, hero narrative that uh, has really taken hold there. Um, and and if, Jim, if I could add, Trumpism, he can also, along that line, he can deliver attacks or deliver things in a way that is just so different. And I would argue, argue it might not be as nasty. This is going to get me in a lot of trouble. But when other, let's put it, when other people try to duplicate Trump's personality, it just doesn't work. I mean, it, it comes off, I think, as meaner and nastier. <laughs> and it just, they can't deliver it in the same way because they're not him or they don't have the same, uh, you know, the same persona. And, and so that's, that's where Holly and Cruz, I think, get a little bit sideways with the whole thing too. The, the other big unknown is what happens, even if the Republican Party does drum uh, Trump out, what what will happen? You know, what will he do? There's a chance that, you know, he decides to run as a third party. And does that become something like, you know, the reform party playing the spoiler in 1992 with Ross Perot at the head, or does that subsume the GOP like the Republican party itself once replaced the Whigs? you know? Well, if the Trump world, or if they are able to put together some sort of third party op, uh, operation, then that would, that would definitely hurt the Republican Party. I mean, right now, the Trump coalition and the, as the Republican Party, that wasn't enough to win the White House, the Senate, or the House in the last elections. And so it has to expand in some way. So if you're talking about dividing it at all, that's only going to hurt um, you know, the, the right side of the ideological spectrum uh, in this country in terms of winning. But um, what can unite a party is the opposition, right? I mean, that eventually I could see the Republican Party coming together again against uh, socialism and AOC and, you know, all, all, of the, all of the terms and people that we've been talking about. But a lot of that depends on what, how much does President Trump continue to interject himself into the conversation and almost force these litmus test loyalty uh, loyalty divides. And I don't think it's getting enough attention, but I, one way that Republicans can, I think, uh, decrease the likelihood of him meddling in primaries against Republicans he doesn't like is to ban him from, or prohibit him from uh, holding future public office, you know, through the, through the Senate trial and, and impeachment process. Because I don't, I still don't believe that President Trump is really a Republican. Like, I mean, he has just used the Republican platform as a vehicle to get where he wants to go. So, and I think the only reason why he would meddle in primaries would partially be as a grudge, but partially to keep the Republican Party as a platform where he could continue to go somewhere else. So if, if that is taken from him where he can't run again, so I think he would lose interest in really caring about the Republican Party. Um, so that's, and I don't know the Republicans will go that far. I mean, I'm, I've been a little surprised that uh, Leader McConnell has kind of let his un indecisiveness be out there so publicly. I, I think that's very telling, uh, but I don't know if they're going to get, you know, both get the 17 senators or get uh, 
go as far as prohibiting him from from holding future office. That's a huge, I think that's a big deal in my mind. Well, we will have to have you on again to try to figure out the answers to all these other questions, but uh, there's only so much we can predict about the future. Nathan, thanks for joining us. Yeah, no problem. Stay safe. All right. Thanks. You too. Now let's turn to CQ's chief correspondent, Niels Lesniewski. Niels, I heard you got your hands on Biden's vaccine plans. What can you tell us? Well, Jim, the biggest thing that the Biden team is planning to do pretty much right away is they are going to use the National Guard and the Federal Emergency Management Agency to try to set up uh, federally run vaccine centers, community centers, uh, to try and get uh, more vaccines out to more populations more quickly. Uh, they have a goal of a hundred million doses in the first hundred days. So that's 50 million people because a lot of these vaccines require two, two shots. Uh, and so that is one of the biggest uh, pieces of the puzzle that they're trying to do. The other thing is, it seems like they may want uh, the CDC when they replace the CDC director in less than a week uh, to somewhat streamline the guidelines for which population sets get the vaccine in which grouping. Yeah, because up until now, uh, the Trump administration has really let the states do whatever they want, which has led to a bit of confusion uh, and uh, really different approaches state by state, right? That's right. And while the uh, Biden administration will also be sort of deferring to the states the summary of plan uh, says that they basically think that it's time to move immediately into uh, a phase where anyone who is 65 and older and anyone who fits a broad array of frontline personnel from uh, healthcare workers and, and those sorts of people who have already been vaccinated but also to people who work in grocery stores, people who are K through 12 school teachers, uh, that there's sort of a broad array of jobs that uh, the Biden team thinks should be in the vaccination queue uh, right now. And I think that some of that is uh, that there are, while there is a shortage of or a limitation on the number of vaccine doses, uh, there are also cases where there are places where the appointments aren't being filled or people just aren't showing up. Uh, and I think that that's why they're trying to broaden the base there. Yeah, it's a race against time. It's uh, trying to get them out as quickly as possible is what a lot of the epidemiologists have been saying. So in addition to fighting the pandemic, Biden has a pretty busy week coming up. Uh, there's the inauguration on Wednesday. And before that, we'll start seeing uh, hearings for his cabinet nominees. But the the hearings are coming a little bit late this year uh, compared to the past, right? Yeah, that, that's right. I mean, we would normally expect to see this week um, a lot of those hearings having taken place in sort of a normal year. We would be looking uh, at the possibility of confirmations happening immediately on the afternoon of, of January 20th, basically as soon as 
the president takes the oath of office and can get around to signing a bunch of paperwork and formally nominating people. Uh, it's not clear that things will move ahead quite that quickly this year. They may, uh, but there are now a handful of hearings that are scheduled for Tuesday the 19th. Uh, the nomination hearings for Avril Haynes to be the Director of National Intelligence, for Mayorkas to be uh, Secretary of Homeland Security, uh, for Tony Blinken to be the Secretary of State, uh, as you know well, uh, Janet Yellen to be the Treasury Secretary, and uh, for, for General Austin to be the Secretary of Defense. Those are all now scheduled for the same day, for Tuesday the 19th. So there's going to be sort of a confirmation palooza uh, going on on the Senate side of the Capitol on Tuesday, uh, which is partially because the Senate wasn't in session this week. Uh, it's partially because they have decided to actually observe the Martin Luther King holiday on Monday and not be in session uh, and probably not be in town, frankly. Um, but once those hearings happen, uh, the confirmation process should speed up uh, at least somewhat. So we have that going on. And then on top of all of that and the vaccine stuff, Biden also released this week his $1.9 trillion coronavirus rescue plan. Um, and that is probably by far his top priority. Uh, it includes a bunch of long-term uh, uh, liberal legislative agenda items, things that they've really wanted for a long time, like a $15 minimum wage and a big expansion to the child tax credit. Um, Republicans are already uh, grumbling about it. Um, but the big question is, will impeachment get in the way of tackling that and all this other stuff? It might. Uh, the uh, sense seems to be from Senate Democrats, um, at least those who are making public statements about this so far, uh, Chris Murphy from Connecticut had a, did an event with the Atlantic Council uh, earlier this afternoon in which he said that the nominations and the COVID relief need to be the, the priority to the extent possible. And if they can figure out a way to delay the trial to either do both, either do both at once or to delay the trial, they should do that. Uh, he said the trial shouldn't be delayed forever, that they shouldn't in fact have one at some point. Uh, but I think they are looking for uh, an opportunity among the Senate Democrats to wait a little bit. Yeah, and I don't know if there's a consensus there, right? Because I know uh, Senator Sherrod Brown of Ohio, uh, who's going to be the incoming uh, banking chairman, um, he said, you know, uh, earlier this week, uh, Senate can walk and chew gum at the same time. They could handle impeachment, and they can also uh, hold some hearings and get some nominees through the door and uh, start work on some legislation. Um, but uh, I feel like that there, there are some hurdles to that. The biggest hurdle procedurally that I can see is that if there is uh, frustration and objection from the Republican side to doing two things at once, uh, there are... 30 hours allowed for uh, debate after breaking a filibuster on a cabinet nominee. 
and so you are looking at the possibility where if you only have the morning to be considering nominations because under the under the impeachment rules that we all became too familiar with last year, uh, at 1 p.m., basically everything else stops for the impeachment trial. Uh, if you're if you're in session in the morning, it would take a week just to get through that 30 hours of debate on a single cabinet nominee. So we might be looking at, you know, months before they can fill the cabinet. Yeah, uh, that would that would certainly uh, slow it down. And I guess it's a, that would be the first clear sign that Republicans were going to revert to the their default position of uh, obstructionism that they uh, deployed at the start of the Obama presidency, right? Yeah, that would be that would sort of be the obvious signal. How how much consensus there is in getting uh, these nominees through and dealing with the impeachment trial, and even dealing with the minimum amount of COVID relief uh, that possibly be uh, uh, dealt with at this point is. Um, I think that's the open question that we're going to find out very quickly. Probably, uh, I think we'll have a very good sense of that by Thursday of next week. All right. Well, we'll have to talk to you on Friday again uh, to see what happens. Uh, Niels, sounds like you're going to be extremely busy, so get some rest this weekend. Thank you. And that does it for this week of The Transition. I'm Jim Saxa. We'll be off this coming Monday, uh, observing the Martin Luther King Jr. holiday, but we'll be back on Tuesday. For all of us at CQ Roll Call, thanks for listening.